Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Julius Besser, and this is episode 127. Uh, Albert, it's not that kind of spirit. Alright, we're back. We're live. And we have the hottest, latest, newest one-player gaming thingies and stuff coming to you live from Memphis and wherever it is that Albert lives. Greenville, South Carolina. Oh yeah, let's do it! <laughs> Hi everybody, and we're going crazy here. Yeah, that's <laughs> half the fun. <laughs> that is half the fun. I should it's most of the fun. No. <laughs> well, well, welcome to episode 127. Today we're talking about Spirits of the Rice Paddy. Um, I've said this sort of thing before. We may or, may or may not have an interview lined up. We'll see. No, we don't. Nope, Albert, you missed. It's done. We're recording. It's closed. You're not editing this week. It's done. Next week. It's not happening. I'm closed to further submissions. Well, okay. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll submit the episode before you do. Ooh. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> then there'll be two competing episode 127s, and they'll be like half different, but half the same. <laughs> Yeah, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I'm sure that would really confuse somebody. Yes, and then we forked the show. That's the problem. That never <sighs> mind. That wouldn't work. All right. So anyway, we do have other stuff to talk about other than nonsense. Um, and before we get started, I definitely want to give another big shout out to our patrons over at Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash/OnePlayerPodcast. Again, a big thank you to everyone who's gone on to Patreon and gone ahead and supported us. Yep, thank you. I know we've actually been having some talk with various people. One of the the lowest Patreon pledge level that we have there is to allow people. Um, what I was calling the prognosticator level, where we were posting up in advance about what the next game that we're going to be reviewing so that people have a chance to comment on it. And I know there's been some discussion about whether or not we should let everybody in on that or post it up on the guild for discussion on the guild. I, I welcome anybody who wants to reach out to me and let me know what it is that they think about that. For the moment, we're leaving that to be over on Patreon. But if you are a patron, a Especially, go make sure that you're taking a listen and letting us know your thoughts on our upcoming games. We definitely want to hear from you guys about that. But I definitely want to give a big thank you to two people who gone ahead and became Patreon backers since our last episode. Uh, David Ross and Rob German, thank you so much to both of you for going ahead and backing us. We really appreciate it. Yep, thank you very much. And thank you to everybody else over there. And now I believe that you have some news for us, Albert. Yeah, okay, I got a little bit of news. First up, uh, White Dog Game has released a couple new solitaire games, and they've got an upcoming solitaire game. First up is the Napoleonic Wars. It's a who is White Dog Games? In case we have no familiarity with uh, them, they're they're a small independent publisher that does um, self-produced and print-and-play games. Think of the quality of a th- think of Victory Point Games in quality. Uh, they they're a small publisher and they make games that have that sort of look and feel. Very nice. Um, they tend to be big box games. In printing yeah. quality or in gameplay quality or both. In 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 box size quality. <laughs> in box size, but in, in printing quality, it's it's just like Victory Point games. In okay. uh, complexity, so far. And I see you're talking about the old Victory Point games before they're going on their new model. Yeah, that's right. Because their new model is all produced stuff in China, which is very different. I'm talking about when they were doing it on their own laser cut machines. Um, so anyway, so the first game is the Napoleonic Wars. It's a Napoleonic game. 
It's a one to three hours. It's a medium complexity game. The the second game is uh, The Last Stand. It's a game on the Little Bighorn. The subtitles: The Little Bighorn, June twenty sixth, eighteen seventy six. Um, I don't have more information on this game. It appears to be a a hex encounters type game, where the other game is more abstract. There isn't any map per se, but well, I cannot even describe it. It's a bunch of uh, boxes on a chart looking thing. It looks interesting. A bunch of boxes on yeah. a chart looking thing. <laughs> yep, that's the yeah, that's the game category. If you search on BGG for boxes on a Al- Albert, you're hired for a podcast cuz you can speak welly. <laughs> Wellish. Yeah. Well yes. like. Wellian. Um the third game is Mitch- Mrs. Thatcher's War, which is an upcoming game. I don't know anything about it other than it is upcoming. Um so there you go. These are the same folks that produced a couple games we did review in the past. They also produced one game we covered in the past, Reconquista. So yeah, check those out. The The printed versions are about $20, or I'm sorry, about $40 for the, the deluxe complete version. If you want to print it out yourself and just buy the files, you could get that. And it varies per game, but it's say about $20, 20 to 25 All right. The, Very cool. Yes, yeah, it is. I'm thinking about ordering one of those. We'll sh- we shall see. Next All sounds up, like war games to me, so I think I'll pass. <laughs> yes, you're right. They are war games. <laughs> Even the the one that looks like charts and the PowerPoint sort of thing. All right, so next up is Renegade. I get to introduce this one. Oh. <laughs> now then, if anybody remembers from quite a while back, uh, you're familiar with Ricky of Box of Delights, the YouTube channel that does solo playthroughs of games? Yes. So he designed a game called Renegade, which is going to be published through Victory Point Games. And I actually playtested with him a year ago. I don't remember how long ago it was. It was a while back at this point in time. Um, So actually, I think it was almost two years ago now. So Mm -hmm. I playtested it with him back then. And Renegade is a game where you it's a deck builder uh, action selection type game. Actually, it's more like a deck builder area control type game. But you are trying to collect your cards and put down different types of viruses and recombinants and programs um, on a digital space to fight back against the CPUs so that you can recontrol the digital space and, you know, for freedom and for revolution and things like that. It's a relatively abstract game, especially in its view, because it's attempting to create a board out of digital space. And being that there's no real space in, you know, the internet it doesn't really <laughs> it doesn't really work that way as much as my daughter may want to try and imagine the internet as being like a web all across the place it doesn't really work like that so it sort of abstracts away the idea of a digital space and the board looks interesting because of it but it's in in my opinion it is a great puzzle game if you like co-ops that are puzzles if you know for instance if you're a fan of matt laycock type games the the game involves different player pieces that will flip over from side to side and they change what powers and benefits they have when they flip over. And the same thing is true also of the enemy pieces that you're trying to fight off. And the whole time, similar to like in Mage Knight, how you level up and you grab more advanced spells, but in this sense, it's viruses and programs and things like that. So you're grabbing advanced programs into your deck and running through your deck to try and play through and keep control of the whole ser- the whole scenario and the whole play space while not 
losing to having too many recombinants, too many bad guys coming out on the board. It is a great puzzle, and I really like playtesting it, and I'm really excited. It's coming to Kickstarter at one point in time. I know that I'm getting <laughs> sort of an advanced set of information released in terms because I know I continue to chat with Ricky about it, and I know that I continue to... I, see the information coming through the playtest lines but i'm really excited for this game it's a great puzzle game the mechanics are really top notch and i'm really looking forward to seeing this one at a kickstarter uh, i bring it up now because ricky actually just put out a new designer diary so if you're interested in learning more about it or if you want to start watching for the kickstarter when it comes out we'll put a link for that designer diary in the show notes and you can go and read more about the designer diary but i think that this is definitely something to keep a watch on for when it comes to kickstarter so that's renegade the game the arts on bgg and it looks really nice i like the look of it i like the look of the card art i'm not a huge fan of the board art because again it's just numbers laid out in a hex shaped thing um i'm okay with the board art i really like the card art i'm okay with the board art but again it's the puzzle it's the gameplay to me and i think that's really really huge in this game Mm-hmm. yeah the, the whole flipping mechanism reminds me of the duke and i like that i wish there were more games that had something like that mm-hmm. so i'm excited about this congratulations to ricky i'm looking forward to seeing this and we have one more piece of news and that is the one player guilds gaming awards the the nomination and voting on that all happened and the awards were announced. You know, shame on us. We forgot to mention it entirely uh, when all that happened. I wish we had. But the results are in and we now have the winners for all the categories. Um, so we should go through those and mention them. Right, the First up is the best solitaire game of 2016. The winner for that was uh, One Deck Dungeon. With the first place runner-up and second place runner-up being Arkham Horror, the card game, and Scythe. I'm a little surprised the One Deck Dungeon beat out Arkham Horror. Yeah, um, I haven't played One Deck Dungeon. Say. I've played Arkham Horror. I know. I was, I was sure Arkham Horror would win. But I, I know nothing about One Deck Dungeon. They both came out at the very end of the year, didn't they? Uh, they did. I think probably. I think this one sort of gives some extra weight <clears throat> to ones that come out at the end of the year. But Scythe got third, and it didn't. Yeah, that's so. true. Oh. Yep. Oh, let's look. The best solitaire expansion for 2016. Let's click on that. Um, the winner of that is Tuscany Essential Edition, which is an expansion for Viticulture uh, Essential Edition. Uh, I have not played that. I have Viticulture and really enjoy it, so I am sure awfully tempted by this one, too. For me, I was really happy to see for the best print-and-play come out was Hayes Island. Uh, I know that we did a review of it back in episode 116, which was The Grizzled. We did a mini-review of it. Excellent game. Really mm. good game. So, yeah. Yeah, you were awesome. excited by that. Yep. I'm still excited for it. This is another <laughs> one that I want. I want to see Hayes Island get published. I think that... Personally, I think that the the fact that it's cards and it's overlaying cards in a small space where all the cards are close by, I think that the car, the game could be done better by making those to be small tiles for the bottom half of a card um, instead of having it all be cards. I I, th- I would prefer to see it be a bunch of tiles instead of cards because I think that's a little bit too finicky for me. I think when I was playing, it was really easy to get moved around for a print and play of course it has to be cards but i mm-hmm. want to see this 
get made even better, get further developed, get made cooler, and go to Kickstarter. I want to see this one go to Kickstarter, and I think it really deserves to go to Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. That'd be neat. Yeah, I think a couple print-and-play games have made it after winning. Well, I don't know if it was because they won awards. Probably not. Maybe. I think Maybe it's, it's just I mean, really th- good games. This already helps them develop some sort of an audience. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine absolutely. that if Hayes Island, I imagine that if Hayes Island went to Kickstarter, it would have a bunch of people come in and immediately back it. It also won, it, it won best two player print and play. It won best game design award. It was a golden geek nominee for best print and play. You know, I mean, it has a lot of popularity and it should go to Kickstarter. I want to see more people doing these things and getting them to Kickstarter. That's what mm-hmm. I want to see. I think His Island really deserves to go to Kickstarter. Okay. You know, I, I, I still am on the page for the Solitaire expansions. I want to go back to that for a quick second. The the second place, the, the first runner-up was, interestingly enough, Descent, Journeys in the Dark, Road to Legend. This is interesting because this one's actually an app, right? So, so it, it very newly won an award for Best Solitaire Game Expansion. Um, and this is a neat app. I don't remember. I guess it came out last year, but the whole idea is this is a turns your game into a solitary game, right? Descent is a game with a with a like a dungeon master basically controlling the the bad guy and the players playing heroes. And th- now the app takes over for the the dungeon master mm-hmm. and turns into a fully cooperative game. Yeah, my expectation is that's going to go down a lot once pe- more people get Gloomhaven. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> Maybe so. You know, I was excited about playing it. I had played it once or twice with the app, and then my tablet died, and I have not played it again. And I, I don't want to use my laptop. So so th- that that is the problem with app games, isn't it? Or with uh, companion apps. I mean, I don't know if that's the problem with companion apps. I think even... Because I actually, when I'm playing Gloomhaven, I'm using a companion app instead of keeping out all the decks just because there's so many decks for all the different types of characters or all the different types of enemies rather in gloomhaven so i'm actually using a companion app for it it's a companion app right on my phone i have no problem using the companion app i just think that gloomhaven does dungeon crawl much better than descent does Mm -hmm. now you can't use the descent app on your phone it's way too small in there it becomes unreadable i have no idea yeah yeah i tried it just it didn't work. Actually, I, I tried it with a small tablet and it was unreadable. Well, the um, Gloomhaven app is fan-made and it works just fine on hmm. the phone. Okay. The Android one that I have. Yep. Okay. So next up is the best multiplayer game played solitaire. This is where you take a game designed for two or more players and play multiple hands Skip. yourself. <laughs> Not interesting. Well, interesting because the winner of that was Terraforming Mars, which is a game that actually has a solitaire version. <laughs> Fair end. Um but the, the people are instructed vote only if you're playing multi-handed. Don't, yeah, right. Don't. No, people don't follow the rules. Skip. I, I'm sure nobody reads that. It doesn't go well. Skip. Which is a shame because there's interesting games in the list. Uh, to me, I don't know. <laughs> that is not solo to me. It's not solo to me. No, it, it, well, I mean, uh, if, if you're playing a game alone, I think it counts. Even if... It's not solo. To me, it's not solo. No. Yeah. No, it's not. I, I don't do that often. I have done it before. It, um, I have tried it just to see how it feels, and it's not so. I have enjoyed it with some games. I played um, Formula Day solo, and I had fun with that. Just playing a couple cars and racing them. Um, and I've done, I've, I've, well, I haven't played, but I've like gone through, through chess games and, and looked at like historic chess games and played through those solo before, and that was interesting. Well, that's a lot different. 
Because if you're playing through historic chess games, what you're trying to do is you're trying to understand the moves as you do it so that you can buy it to later. Mm-hmm. You're literally playing through someone else's already played game. That's not uh, even, You're not even playing a game. So it's like watching a video. Yes. A playthrough video. Yep. <laughs> I guess so. That's a, that is a uh, very different thing. <laughs> um, okay, so let's go on to the next category. Then we've got Hall of Fame. Woo! So the Hall of Fame works a little bit differently. There's always two, two people or items inducted into the Hall of Fame each year. Um, the cat, the, it works a little bit different for games. It's not games published in the last year. It's games that are at least 10 years old, just to make sure that, that the games are really well-aged. You know, These are actual games that have stood the test of time. The, the two inductees this year are RAF, a war game by John Butterfield, and Barbarian Prince. Which is a, a game I covered way back in episode like I don't know thirty something. Um, by Arnold Hendrick, it's a it's a neat small game in which you're a barbarian moving around in a map and having adventures from a, a a book. You flip through it and roll dice to see what happens. Totally random stuff can happen in there, and it's it's kind of a stupid fun game. It's a great light game where where you can have this silly adventure. Uh, RAF, I've never played. I own a copy. I have yet to play it, but it is it is a classic game and. It looks pretty neat. The drawback with this one is that it's, it's a bit long. Actually, the Travis Travis Hill from a uh, low player count interviewed Rich uh, John Butterfield recently, and they talked about this game some. So if you want to know more about it, go check out that interview, or wait till I play the game. the The Hall of Fame for designers. The winners here are Shadi Torby. Of designer of the universe, you know, Nautilian, Onirum, uh, Equilibrium, and so on. Have you played Nautilian yet, Julius? I heard you finally got it. I got it. I picked it up last time. Here's something actually I thought was interesting packaging because this is as far as I've gotten was unboxing. I know that with um, Cassellion, or at the very least, I believe that with Cassellion, when you got it, the box actually came to you all the way closed. And because of that, the tiles don't go flush in the top of the box. So, for instance, you would turn it over, the tiles would have like a hollow space on top where they Mm -hmm. could slide around. Whereas if the plastic went all the way to the top of the box, they wouldn't slide around. I believe you own Kisselion, and you can confirm that as true, correct? Yes, it's true. Actually, I I took care of that problem by, uh, I stand the tiles in the thing, and right. then I have a piece of a, a, a draw bag in the middle of it, and it keeps all the things in place nicely. Right. I've heard some other people who also take all of the cardboard, the punch board, and put it underneath the insert after they're done. Mm-hmm. So I've heard various people solve that problem, but it was interesting. When I got Nautilia, which I just got last night, so I haven't, I've, all I've done is punch it out because, honest truth, as soon as I get a game, I must punch it out. I'm addicted, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, I got it, and I was interested to note, they didn't close the box all the way this time. The box is actually not all the way down. The plastic goes up to the top of the box. The cardboard punch-outs are then put on top, and then they try to close the box. It's not all the way closed, and then they just shrunk-wrap the whole thing. Mm Mm-hmm. That means that all of the pieces now are flush and level with the top of the box without having to come up with all these interesting ideas. So you get the game, and you're like, huh, the box isn't all the way closed. But you're happier about that once you get it all put away. <laughs> so I think somebody's yeah. learning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it always bugs me when the game comes and it doesn't shut well and until you throw out the all the extra cardboard stuff. <laughs> 
But okay, so anyway, so that was one of the inductees into to the Hall of Fame. The other one is Uwe Rosenberg, also well known designer, designer of Agricola or Labora, Le Havre, so on and so forth. Feast for Odin, Bonanza, and the list goes on. Uh, very excited, very happy to see both of them in the, made it this year. Uh, b- both are designers I really like. And so no, we I'm have one. Play more... Bye. Bye. <laughs> see, it's that good. And we have one more category: Hall of Fame for BGG users. These are users who are, are contribute a lot to the One Player Guild, and so the One Player Guild wants to to acknowledge these people for for their contributions and the effort they make to to helping the solitaire community. So this year's inductees are Koinsky. Um who you'd recognize from the solitaire games on your table geek list with, with all these amazing pictures that she takes of where she's playing games at with, with the board game in the foreground and in the background, a beautiful beach or scenic snow covered mountain or, or whatever. And it's always these amazing photographs. And I tell you, every time I see a picture of her playing of her games in whatever setting, it's just, it cheers me up. It looks so nice. The other picture is the, uh, Gary Brooks, also known as Darkwing Duck or who? Who's Gary? Um, and he, he, well, I don't know. I don't know why everybody voted him, but he, I think he's probably in there because of all the uh, entertainment he has provided. He, he's quite entertaining and thoughtful and just all-around good person. Oh, and he has created the solitaire game Chain of Generosity, which I participated in a lot, but now I know why. I finally stopped trying that because I was just shipping too many games that way. So there we go. That's the, the one-player guilds game solitaire gaming awards for 2017 which is the awards talking about 2016 stuff which is always confusing to me (laughs) poor albert math is hard it is is it the 2017 or 2016 awards math is hard poor Mm -hmm. albert so speaking of the best variants before we actually get started on this week's game i'm gonna get on another soapbox Soapbox. So I have another soapbox to get on to. I traded away, and a big thank you to the people who traded with me, Keith Barlow. Um, but I traded away for a copy of Tricarion. And I had heard a lot about this game in both the multiplayer aspects, but I've also heard some good reviews about the Solitaire variant um, for the game. And this was a Solitaire variant that had been posted up online. And some people had said that it's a it's a great implementation and it feels like a real... Uh, player playing along with the game and so some of the people told me some nice things about it so i had really been interested in tricarian so i was very happy to make a trade for it and um and this trade was actually for those people who've been following this trade was actually motivated by the pay the trade it forward geek list which was an interesting way to get a little bit of a fresh life out of games that you're not using if you want to trade forward with other people on the one player guild or really i guess anywhere but that aside, I traded for a copy of Tricarian, pulled open, noted that the game actually came with a printout of the Solitaire variant inside of it, so thank you again to Barlow for trading with me, and played through it, and I was playing like halfway through the game, and I'm like, oh, this is just hurting my head. <laughs> this Solitaire variant is just hurting my head, because playing through it, 
you have to deal out cards to the player and then you have to figure out well which cards does he want to play first and in general he wants to do it in this order but if he wants to try and beat you because Tricarion at its core is a worker placement game so if he wants to beat you to place on, a, on an area so he's going to try and redo it this way um, and then if he goes to a certain area uh, which he may just go to randomly if he's going to a certain area. So what actions he takes in this area are based on the other sorts of things that he's done. And sometimes he'll do this and sometimes he'll do this. And then there's some areas that are simple to do. And there's some areas that have like whole flow charts to be able to figure out what to do. I'm like, this is just so, this is too much work for me to have to, I, you know, this is my first and second playthrough of the game, but even then it's a lot of work. I'm spending a fair amount of time having to figure out well what it is that they're doing and how it is that they want to play in addition to trying to play my game and i want to get in a soapbox and talk for a bit and albert will probably join me in this about what makes a good solitaire variant and since we were just now talking about you know the the best solitaire variants of 2016 um i think you know good time to start talking about it as well that and I think that also Morton Pedersen has also talked about this before in his Atama approach. But to me, I think probably the two most important parts of creating a good solo variant for multiplayer game are to find out what the the most important effects on this on the player are and how you can make those effects happen without having another player actually there. And those are the two most important steps. And I think when you're designing a solitaire variant, I think you're you're able to include whatever other stuff you have. And I think Albert may disagree with me on this, but you can include a deck of cards, you can include dice, you can include a simple flowchart. But I think to a certain degree, you should be trying to mimic the effects on another player and not an actual player. And I think that some people would possibly disagree with me on that. I know there are some mm. people who don't like doing a solitaire variant where you're trying to beat your own high score. They want an actual victory objective. Um, and I'll admit that I, I like a lot of times having a victory objective. And I think that's possibly one reason why the large majority of the games that we review on the podcast are co-op games. I believe. Is that not correct, Albert? Mm-hmm, that's right. It's a surprisingly large number of co-op games. Yeah, I think four out of five games that we review on the podcast or so are co-op games, which surprised us when we were looking through it. <laughs> and, um, you know, so th- with the co-op game, when you play it solo, so you have a very clear victory objective. But I think the majority of the games that we're playing in sol- and multiplayer variants don't have clear objectives. I was looking through... Um, the Valeria games is a beat your own score. Energy Empire, while it has a lose condition, I haven't found too much difficulty in beating that lose condition at that point in time. It's a beat your own score. The Networks is a beat your own score. Far Space Foundry is a beat your own score. Project Dreamscape is a beat your own score. Uh, Conflict of Heroes and Bloody End are games Albert could talk to, but I believe they're also beat your own scores. Is that not correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. And so these are all published game designs, which are all beat your own score. And I'm trying to think of a multiplayer solitaire variant, which isn't just beat your own score. Role player is another one that comes to mind, which is beat your own score. Sagrada is another one that comes to mind, which is beat your own score. And it really seems to be that these are the way things are going. 
I think that when you're designing a solitaire game, you should be trying to use as few player components as possible. And when I was looking at this uh, this variant for Tricarion, he's having me use a player board, have actual trick cards out, have actual um, you know player pieces out, have worker tokens going out, have cards used for figuring out where it is that the, the player pieces are going. And there's a lot of player pieces that get involved. The You're not trying to find with a solitary variant how to emulate a player. You're trying to figure out how to emulate the effects on a player. So when you design a solitaire variant, for the majority of what you want to do, you want to have it play and feel like you're playing against another player and use as few player pieces as possible. And you're going to hear me talk about this also for Spirits of the Rice Paddy when we get into this later. It should be as few player pieces as possible. It should not involve player pieces, the majority. So I'm playing through to carry. I'm playing through the Solitaire Variant. I'm like, I like some of what this guy's done, but I think that I could make a Solitaire Variant, which for Tricarion uses 1d6 and the trick icons, the trick tokens that go on the theater board. And that's it. I don't need any other player pieces in order to emulate the effects. And the, the D6 is going to be two random rolls after every turn. And that's really it. And I think that would be a, a stronger way and a simpler way to do it. Now then, again, whenever you're doing a solitary variant, again, you really should have more playtesting being involved. But I think that's a stronger way to do it. Because when you're having it be that you're only emulating the effects and not emulating an actual player... You're not having to spend brain power to play your game and then go play their game. Their game should take probably one-tenth the amount of time to run through and do as you are for your turn. And you know what you're doing for your turn. Your turn is playing through a certain way. It should still take about one-tenth the amount of time to run through their turn. And it should definitely not take any brain power to run through their turn because it shouldn't take upkeep. It should be really dead simple. Anything to add there, Albert? Mm, Yeah, I agree. Ideally, the, the the AI is very simple to play. Unfortunately, you can't always do that, but it, it, sometimes it's distracting when you end up spending too much time on the AI. And I find, especially for some of the more complex games, you got these AIs that take so long, by the time you get back to your turn, you may have forgotten what you wanted to do, um, which can be frustrating. Which AIs are uh, you thinking about? I'm thinking of the coin games, which are, are notoriously complicated. The... They, they have a flowchart for each opponent. And most of the coin games are four-player games, or one through four-player games in which there's four four players each time. And so you're playing one, and the AI is controlling the other three. And there's a different AI for each one and a different flowchart for each one. Mm-hmm. Um, because the game is so asymmetrical, you just couldn't use the same chart for all three. Not really. It would be, wow, be an incredibly complicated chart. Um <laughs> Though, I'll tell you what, once you have learned the game pretty well, you kind of realize that the point of chart is sort of, for the most part, just to mimic the best choice of your opponent. And you kind of know what the best choice is. You don't even need the flow chart. I, I don't know. I find it hard that you, if you have to calculate what the best choice is, then you're having to devote brain power to the other player. Like another common game, Between Two Cities, mm-hmm. um, which is actually the sole variant of vibe of Morden Pedersen. But a lot of the time with that one, you had to calculate out for your opponent, which tile very often you had to figure out which tile placement 
gave the maximum score to the solitaire players. And that means that you're devoting brain player. You're having to do actual calculations. And then I think for the depth and complexity level for between two cities, that's just simply where it had to be. It had to be sat at. But I will tell you, between two cities, since I reviewed it, I've never played the solitaire variant again. And I played the multiplayer variant a number of times because, in terms of the multiplayer game, it is an excellent um, drafting game, especially for playing with new players. Excellent. But in mm-hmm. terms of the solitaire variant. It requires you to sit down and calculate it out, and that's a published game. <laughs> yeah, though, though, to, to be fair, there are two solitaire variants. One is simple, one is complicated, and I found them both fun for what they are. Um, so, if, if you're in the mood to play without a lot of having to do upkeep for your for the AI, you could play the simple version. True. If, if you want to do more thinking, then you could play the complex version. True. Um, yep. The and I'll, I mean. In, I'm, mm-hmm. uh, Another idea that just uh, I was thinking about earlier, um, are you familiar with the upcoming game um, Charterstone? I've heard of it, yes. So Charterstone is another game coming out from Snowmare Games that I'm personally really excited for. It is going to be a legacy worker placement game where the buildings that you build, you're sort of building buildings similar to Lords of Waterdeep. But every time you build a building, it's a permanent sticker on your board, and it lasts, and it keeps going. Unlike in games like Seafall, where buildings just sort of disappear after every game, a building that you build is a permanent building for the rest of the campaign, which is neat. Mm-hmm. But in that, that one, really cool. apparently, and again, they have not released the rules. I'm not quite sure why they haven't released the rules, but they haven't released the rules, even though they're supposed to, at this point in time, now be an initial rulebook of a lot of stuff that is the first game rule book. So there's going to be a rule book, but they haven't released it. Don't know why, but from what I'm reading after every game or at one point in time, there's going to be a whole set of AI paths so that every other solo or (coughs) an active player advances along building track or something, but there's some sort of AI that advances itself. And I'm not quite sure where that comes from, because again, it appears like for a solitaire game, you're having to advance along everybody else's with a whole complicated AI. It's not; it doesn't seem to pass the same same test. Now it could be because it's a, a legacy game that it has to that you have to actually emulate a player instead of only emulating the effects. But it is what it mm-hmm. is. No idea. Yep. That's that's a hard one really to, to guess on. But the basic idea well, yeah. that I'm trying to say is especially I see a lot of people on here uh, on the guild who are designing solitaire variants. And I think that when you design a solitaire variant, think about and go through another revision and try and take out as many of the player pieces as you can from your finished design and see how strong it is after you've done that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, if, and when you're working a design, try and try and find what you know what what mechanics don't really add anything to the solitaire to what opponent's mechanics don't really add anything to your play. The more of those that you can take out, the stronger and cleaner I think the design is going to be. Yeah, I agree. So I, I mean, I personally intend on posting up the solitaire variant that I've, I'm I'm going to be using for Tricarion. If anybody else wants to take a look at what it is that have done for Tricarion. Um, 
and just to see what it is that I'm talking about before, because I mentioned I think it only requires just a D6. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you, and you mentioned solitaire game designers in the one-player guild. It's worth mentioning there is a new guild for solitaire game design. And I thought I was in it, but I don't see it on my list. Um, <laughs> we should offer a link to that. We will do so. Check the show notes for the link to that that guild. But, you know, something to think about, especially when you're doing it. And it seems to be for more and more published games that they're trying to implement these type of things. I know that for, like we were just talking about for Tokarion, Mind Clash Games did something like that for uh, Anachrony, but they didn't do it for Tricarion. I don't know why they didn't do it for Tricarion. I think they could have. I think maybe the demand wasn't as big back then, and now they're realizing the demand is bigger. But that's the sort of path I would recommend going on. And yeah, this is definitely the sort of thing that you can look at at the guild for more information about. Yep, absolutely. Alrighty, very cool. Well, speaking of things that have a solitaire variant, shall we talk about Spirits of the Rice Paddy? Yes, I've wanted to know more about this game for a long time. I think it looks really cool. The theme sounds really fun, and I've been really curious about it. So so teach me. Here we go. All right, so Spirits of the Rice Paddy is, as I said in the Patreon stub, a yet another farming game simulator. Except this time it's about rice, which I thought was a really interesting way to do things. In this game, it is a... Um, I suppose action selection game where you have a limited number of action points based on the workers that you have in your field. And you're using those workers on a hex-based board to water and plant rice fields. And at the end of the game, every piece of rice is worth one point, and whoever has the most points or the most rice at the end of the game is considered a winner. You will be drafting out spirit cards twice during the game first between the first round then after three rounds you will draft again each round you'll play these spirit cards and they'll give you some powers that you can use during the course of the game from then on and onwards continue playing through the game until you get through with all six rounds on the seventh round you could do a massive sale to get as much points as you can by the end of the game and hopefully win or at least get a lot of points in the solitaire variant that is spirits of the rice paddy so let's talk about the first aspect of how we're breaking it down. The first thing we're going to talk about is the rules. Now that I will say there is one big thing that I saw a lot of people, at least on the forums for spirits, of the rice patty messed up. I talked about how with the spirits, you draft a spirit and then you play it each round. The rules are quite clear on this, but I saw a lot of people who missed this. I know some other people own the game in my local group and missed this. When you play a spirit, you get to use that spirit power each and every round from then on. So everyone you've played in the past at the beginning of the round, you're getting to reuse. Unless it says do not reuse it, you get to reuse it. For some reason, I was thinking you only get to use the one that you play that round, and then you never get to use it again. That is wrong. And there's a fact posted up on on their website about that. I don't know how I missed that. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. 
other than that, I think the rules were pretty easy to understand, a pretty easy to implement. Nothing really extraordinary or special about it. Yeah, the rules were fine. No news is good yeah, news, they, I suppose. Yeah, they, 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 and they're, they look nice too. Colorful, well-designed, lot, lots of pictures and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My rules, the, the rule book that I have actually, the printing was a little bit off. It, the, the bleed on it got cut a little bit short, so it looks funny when you're reading it. But it was perfectly mm-hmm. readable. That has nothing to do with the rules. just happened to be the one I had. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. So that's the rules. They're good. They're fine. Uh, talking about the components, the components of this game are really good. Uh, the game managed to reach quite a number of stretch goals when it originally went to Kickstarter. Kickstarter, So the bugs and the weeds turned from cubes to being actual shaped meeples. The player board became a two-level player board, which means that you build hexes by putting out um, wooden from Catan, road-shaped pieces, essentially. They're wooden logs. Um to wall up your hexes so the player board they have inset spots to actually put down those walls and they'll stay you can't if you shake the board unless you pick it up and turn it over your hexes are not going to get displaced this is the sort of thing that people have cried out to have been done for terraforming mars and similar type (laughs) games yeah now is it actually it's a it's a board mounted board then yes it's a board mounted on another board is how they do that that's cool okay Really I couldn't nice tell from the picture if it was a board or, or just card or what. I, I didn't realize it was inset also, which is just awesome. It's inset in there, yeah. Wow. And so that's really nice. Um, let me, I can show you a picture of it. Nah, it's all right. Okay. Unless you're going to share it with the listeners. Yeah, they can find it on, the on their own. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, that's an actual inset player board. Um, and I will say, with the copy that I got, which was on the secondhand market, um the first set of spirits versus the second set of spirits have different colors. And I had a slight discoloration on my cards and those were primarily really, um, evil cards that had the, uh, issue. So if you saw someone grab one of the discolored cards, you knew that they were planning on being evil, which was a funny thing to have happen. (laughs) Um, so I wrote in and I asked for those to get re- the those to get replaced, and they sent me out an extra copy of all those cards with no cost, no nothing. So really good customer service, and now all the cards match perfectly fine. So I have no problem with that. So I just wanted to give a little shout out to them for having excellent customer service and getting that getting that fixed for me. Yeah, that is. You know, the the, the that'd be interesting. What if, is there a game where where a person can choose to play really mean cards and everybody knows when they take the mean cards? Because that no just sounds idea. like they could be a fun game. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, so yeah, so the components of the game are really nice. I really like the components. And again, there you go. I feel like I'm sort of talking about it as if it's rice. Yeah, it's rice. It's fine. It's white rice. <laughs> it's fine. So yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Rice is great. Can't go wrong with rice. <laughs> exactly. But no, the components are, are, are really nice. I really like the, the bonuses that they got from the Kickstarter. Let's talk about the gameplay, though, because the gameplay is where I'm going to really, really start raving about it because <laughs> you haven't been gushing already oh. I, I i don't th- i don't think i have yet have i you, you sound pretty excited about it okay so let's talk about the gameplay because the gameplay is really cool um there's a water in and a water out mechanic in the game there's two phases for how you're doing the action selection you'll lay out 
all your workers and things on the right side of your board to sort of assign action points in the shape of workers to the different things you'll do over the course of the game. Some of the actions can only happen in empty tiles. Some of the tiles can only happen in flooded tiles. So you'll go through all the actions, and at one point in time, you'll have the option to let out water from some of your tiles. And it'll the water will flow down the hill of your tile. So it'll flow from hex patty to patty to patty, and then it'll flow to the next player's patty. And then if they are wanting water, that's going to be like one of their only ways to get water is they have to hope that you let out enough water for them to grab some. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck. And then later on, so it'll go to their reservoir and then they can let in water on their later ones. So you're having to balance letting water in and letting water out. And there's a restricted number of water that comes into the game. And when you're playing solitaire, the amount of water is only for a two-player game, and it gets further restricted by another method that I'll talk about in a sec. But the gameplay keeps the amount of water existent in the game very restricted so that it can be really tough to make sure that you have enough water to be able to do everything it is that you want to be able to do, which is super cool. Really neat that they managed to do that. And it really feels restrictive. You're having to really balance out. I don't, you know, sometimes you're like, I don't want to give water to the other guy because I don't have any opportunity, I don't think, to be able to get water back. And the player turn order is based on which spirits you play. If you play really powerful spirits, you're going to be lower down in player order. So you have a much smaller chance of ever getting water. You may never get water the rest of the game, um, depending on where it is that you go in turn. Yeah, I love that mechanism. That, that's a great mechanism, that balancing there. The the balancing of water in the game is an amazing mechanic. And it really, I'm skipping a bit to theme here, it really ties into the theme of rice patties. That's, that's how you grow a rice patty, is by balancing out, I mean, granted, in a real rice patty, you have plenty of water. You're not having to like shove your neighbor down a cliff in order to be able to get their water. It's not quite that kill or be killed. <laughs> But that's how you do it, is you have to flood them, and then you unflood them, and you flood them, and you flood them back. And that's exactly how it's done. And I have to, I really have to wonder myself, like, how on earth did they design the mechanic? This, I've heard some designers talk about, well, did we design mechanic first or theme first? I cannot imagine doing this mechanic in any other way than being designed at the same thought as the theme. They are that tightly tied. They, wow, okay. they had to have been designed with the same thought process at the same moment, because I just cannot imagine how you would have ever broken apart the theme from that water in and water out mechanic. And it's such a unique balancing thing that I've not seen anything else do anything like that. It's really unique and really interesting to play. So that's, that's one of the two that that's one of the two, and I'd say that's probably the the really more interesting, unique one. The other thing is about these spirits. There's a there's a wide variety of different player powers that you can have, and some of those are evil. Uh, and by evil, I mean like you can really beat up another player and throw a bunch of weeds and pests around, or steal their stuff, or steal their workers, things like that. Um, and some of them just give you some like magic water and some of them are really good for you or let you harvest and, and even if it's flooded, some really cool stuff you can do with all the with all the spirits. So you have a lot of replayability because otherwise without those spirits, it's going to be more like, mm, say, Caverna, which 
can be played the exact same way every single time because there's nothing changing how it is that you're using what special powers that you have so but because you have those spirits and especially when you're playing against multiplayer when there's a lot of interaction between the different spirits and trying to race and balance good spirits against higher up and player turn order and those spirits add a lot of replayability to the game and make each game feel somewhat different not like grossly different but they feel pretty somewhat different tied in with the fact that there's different goals because there's a certain there's a pile of goals that can give you some extra points if you can fulfill them so between those two things they add a fair amount of replayability to the game another thing that's unique about the game is a marketplace mechanic Normally in a game like you would be buying workers or things from a general pool or buying resources like, you know, in Scythe, for example, there's going to be a general pool of wood that's available to everyone or in a spot or something like that. It's not so here. In this game, each time during the marketplace, you have on your board a certain amount of livestock and worker tokens that you can buy. And that comes right off your player board. So I never interact with your player board to buy your stuff or reduce your things or anything like that. I don't do it. And I buy from my own marketplace. And you would think, well, then there's no real tension in that. But there is. Depending on how many things you buy on a single turn, there's a certain extra tax for that. So if you buy one thing on a turn, there's no tax. But if you buy two, there's an extra $4 you have to pay. If you're buying five in a turn... The fifth one costs an extra twenty five dollars. Oh wow! And it right, so it gets it can get really expensive. So if you want to have a lot of power early on, be prepared to spend a lot of money. But if you go slowly, so then you may fall down other people's, you may fall behind other people's power ramp, because other people may be able to continue getting more and more actions and be able to do more and more stuff, and you're not able to keep up. It's an interesting thing. I've I can't really think of anything else that does the marketplace like that. And it's an interesting way of me being able to balance that I get to do all my own stuff at my own pace. And I'm not really messing with you sort of like a multiplayer solitaire type of thing. And at the same time, I'm still having to, to race against you to make sure that I'm getting the right power curve without overspending because there have definitely been times where I've bought too much and I've wasted money. And then, last turn or two i'm like oh look i have three workers sitting around that i'm not using for diddly and i just wasted all that money being able to get them hmm. the, the scoring track on uh, gates of low yang sounds a little bit similar to that right where where you could the first point you get costs you one coin after that the, the points you get cost you how many points you you have true um, but with that so one you're, you're still there, there's more of a sort of direct race against other people in gates of low yang i'm competing with someone else to get those points yeah. Here, my marketplace is my marketplace. Everyone has their own marketplace. Everybody has their own points. Okay, fine. I hear you. I don't I, I know. It, it to me, it sounds similar, but I haven't played this game, so I can't really see. I'd have to play, I'd have to play uh, Gates of Liang again more recently okay. to be able to really tell. Um, <laughs> What's well, a good argument either way? <laughs> I'll look into that. Nonetheless, um, so those are a couple really interesting things and i i really like the spirits i really like the marketplace and i really really like the water in water out mechanics it makes for a even though this is yet another farming game simulator it makes for a very distinct and different feel than all the other farming game simulators that are out there because of the water in water out mechanic um and so really that i sort of included theme in there talking about that before so i'm going to skip the theme section 
Okay. Well, I I do have a question about the theme, even though you talked about it. Go ahead. Um, does it feel like there's spirits in this game? Does it feel like some sort of supernatural farming game at all, or does it nah. just feel like a game with cards? Okay. Game with cards. You have you have some, okay. Like for instance, one spirit comes along and lets you put out weeds in another person's thing, or lets you get extra gates, or, or which are the wood tokens, the the hex tokens or they let you get some magic water which just is water that can both count as water and not water mm. um okay so this could have been just like buy, buying uh tools or something it could it have been. been no different yeah it could have been there's no real difference to that okay well that's a shame because i love the idea of the theme I, I wish it came through more i don't know it's not it, it could have just been a tool it could have been yeah it didn't have to be mm-hmm like, I don't think that me when we we're water spirit. Yeah, no, it doesn't sound like it changes the, the fun of the game, but but I do wish that it shined through more in the theme. I hear you. I mean, hey. in the end, they had to pick something which sort of motivated and gave you those powers. Yes, yes, and it is a unique idea, and it is it it does sound neat either way. <laughs> so that's in regard to the theme. Now then, let's talk about how the solo plays. When you're playing solo, this is a, a variant which. In order to process the solo game, you have a solitaire player who has one single hex. Normally, you as a player can have ten hexes. The solitaire player can have only one hex, but that one hex can hold up to ten water. So he can sort of clog up all the water. Now, theoretically, you could do it with anybody else's instead of having that. Or you can just have a card or something for the solitaire player if you don't have a piece of cardboard which comes with the solitaire bonus stuff, the solitaire expansion, um, to do that with. Mm-hmm. That tile's a nice touch, though, because, I mean, it looks just like a regular tile, and it, it just adds to the feel. Yeah, it's essentially a one-hex tile, and it does add to the feel. I will grant you that. Mm-hmm. Um so it's essentially just a one hex field which says under it limit 10 water. So it's a bunch of water that can stack up there. And then each round, instead of having him you know, place workers or take workers or anything like that, um, after you've set out all your workers but before you run through things, you will flip over one of the solitaire cards. And there are nine cards for this. So you'll flip over six per game. And it shows how much water he will take in, the solo solo hex will take in from the reservoir, and how much he will let back out, either back into the general supply or into yours if he's going first. And he will take the leftovers from your draft and then randomly draw one to determine player order. And so that'll determine whether he's going before or after you about where the water goes and if he's holding on to it. So he will essentially just serve to hold up on water and you don't know how much water he's going to do. And again, we were talking about before this completely mimics the effects of another player on you. Other, I mean, it's not necessarily going to steal some of the, uh, um, bonuses from you, some of the gameplay, the, the end game bonuses, but it, it mimics the restrictions that you have on you over the course of the game and gives you full breath to really play around with the rest of the thing. So it mimics about the unknowingness of water and being again, that that was the most exciting mechanic, seeing that that got mimicked really enhanced the gameplay. I really like playing it solo because it gives me a fair amount of challenge messing around with that, that nine card deck makes an interesting way of putting together about, I don't know what's, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just trying to balance off of it. And it's better than, I mean, you could play that just, you know, uh, 
say, seven waters taken away from the supply in addition to everything else. But I like this more. I like that it can vary, and sometimes you have more water, and sometimes you have less, and sometimes you have just absolutely none, because he's, he's maxed out and just keeps taking it all. And that can happen, too. And I, I really like how the solitaire gameplay has it. What I do think is a shame is their method of, of production for it. They did not include this in the box, even though this could have been done as 10 cards, because that one hex player board, it could have been just another card. It's the size of a regular 2x3 playing card. So it could have been another card. And they could have included this in the box. They really could have. I mean, I'm, I'm personally a little bit surprised that nobody out there has posted up what exactly the nine cards are. Because to me, it feels like this would be a really easy thing for someone to mock up and make into a one-page printout that you can print off. Because I've seen so many people put nine cards onto a single page um, for these nine-card solitaire print-and-play competitions, contests. It, mm-hmm. it would be really easy to put these onto a page to print them off. You know, maybe mess with the numbers a little bit. Maybe you don't even need to. I don't even think they have any problem. I have no idea if they'd have any problems with that. Um, I don't think legally there is much of a problem with it because, you know, the numbers are the numbers and the numbers. It's not. There's not that much they can do about yeah, that. You can't copyright numbers. <laughs> exactly. It's it's the words <laughs> water out and a number, and the words water in and a number. And you know, while someone may have to work on the solitaire play rules, in all honesty, I think the solitaire play rules can use a little bit more explanation anyway. And there's actually some holistic summaries on BGG, which in, which add in all the rules that you'll need for solitaire play also. So I've actually marked up my solitaire play rules with a couple extra explanations, like how much stuff comes out. Cause otherwise I don't remember how much is in, how much water's in the supply. For example, it's, it's not printed right on the one page of solitaire play rules. I don't know why they didn't include it in the box. And I feel that's a complete, that's a, that's a crying shame. Crying that, shame. That is a shame. Because, you know, I'm really excited about it. My friend at the local game store has it. And I'm thinking, oh, I should get the game. This sounds great. It's like, oh, wait, I, I can't. Because mm-hmm. it won't have the solid option. So I'm not going to get it. I don't know. I, I wish they I wish they would have. Because, you know, we just listed out a whole bunch of other games which have solitaire pieces in the box. Now, I'll grant you, Spirits of the, of the Rice Patties is a game that came out before many of these. Spirits of the Rice Patties, I don't remember when it came out to Kickstarter. Uh, I can probably look it up. Three years or so, hasn't it? It it probably was about three years, but the game was released in 2015. I think it was even early 2015. Oh, okay. um, By Philip DeBerry. The the way you described the quality of the components, the the game retail price is fifty dollars, so it sounds like it's it's already a good deal. And it's a good deal for thirty bucks on miniature market. Yeah, I think the price I think the price matches the quality of components that you have. It certainly does. The game looks nice. The game has good components, especially the uh, inset board, inset player board. Excellent game. I, you know, when, when we get up to, or we can skip straight to it, I give the game a, a thumbs up. I certainly like the game. I certainly think the game is is really good. I just think it's a shame that they didn't make, you know, even if they publicly made available with a table that you can roll a, a 10-sided dice on. And made that publicly available to everyone just so that they can print it off and roll a 10-sided <laughs> die instead of using the cards even. You don't even have to cut anything out. If they made that even publicly available, 
that would solve this problem. Actually, you know, I think when I was looking online, I think I did see it for sale. Yes, here it is. The solo expansion. It is $8 on their web. You, you got to go to the page where you could buy the game. And then from there, you'll notice that it mentions the expansion with a link. And then you click on it, it takes you to purchase the expansion. Well, sheesh. But yeah, it's not easy to find. It's not easy to find. It's $8 for it. Well, that's not bad. I'd probably get that for an extra $8. Mm-hmm. Plus shipping. But again, put it in the box, guys. Still, put it in the box. Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, you don't probably don't even really need cards. And, like, the the AI board could just be a space on the on next to your board. Yeah. You don't even need a card for that. I mean, you could make this, if I wanted to make this dead simple, I could make it a, a one page with a circle at the top half, say limit 10 water in the circle, and a, and 10 options for water in, water out, and roll a die every round. And there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that simple. Dead simple. But yeah, I mean, the cards are definitely nice. I'd, rather, I'd certainly rather pay the eight bucks and and get it because i'd rather have the nicer version once it is available for eight bucks um so yeah there you go all right so is that it for spirits of the rise patty so that is it for spirits of the rise patty i'm gonna give it a thumbs up i really like the game i thought it's it's a really unique mechanic that water in water out thing is really fun the spirits all tie into everything else the the components are really nice thumbs up i really like it my only problem is that they didn't include the solo version in the box. And when you talk about it, and now I see it's actually available, I guess that's a much more minor thing than it really is. But good game. Yep. Yeah, I'm excited by it. Ever since I first heard about it, I thought it sounded really not cool. It looks beautiful. And, and now that you talk about it, the gameplay just sounds fun. It is. And it's pretty small, isn't it? The player boards are small. So how much table space does the game take? Not much. As much size as a Magic the Gathering player mat. That's it? Yeah. Wow. It all fits into a small space. If you're playing solo. If you're playing solo. Because if you're playing solo, you need space for the um, goals, the end game goals. Uh, you need space for your player board and the solitaire player board and then a couple other cards and things that are in various other places. So yeah, it, it comes into a pretty small package. Mm, okay. You could play on a school desk, for example. I have a school desk. There you go. Actually, <laughs> we have one here. We could do it. Actually, it wouldn't fit on that. That's a really small school. There you go. All right. Cool. Well, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. All right. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.